Welcome to Mindful Conversations with Matt and Rob. This is Matt. And I'm Rob. And I'm here too. Oh, yes. I'm Patty. And Patty. She's joining us again. This is an episode that is within the context of maturity and intimacy, and we're glad that you tuned in. Well, as we've been preparing for this particular episode, it's stimulated lots of conversation before we even recorded. Yes, it has. This material is really complex, intriguing, and needed. Yeah, I think it merits a mindful consideration. Absolutely. And I think it's worth doing the work to understand it. Yeah, I do too. That's actually a great thought. This does require mindfulness or work or however you would describe that. Time and effort. It does. Time and intentionality. So for those of you listening, don't be bamboozled. We are trying to figure this out too. Agreed. So thanks for tuning into this conversation. Uh, This is a series of episodes talking about maturity and intimacy. And we've talked about authority in our previous episode. And today we're going to be talking about identity. Yeah. And identity, Dr. Rob, is um, you have an easy way. We want to try to make this easy, an easy way to conceptualize identity formation. I think of it as an autobiography mm-hmm. because that's that's the only word I could think of that makes a very large, <laughs> complex concept manageable. It's the sum total of my experiences, past and present, mm-hmm. that combine and how I act, think, and feel, my beliefs, mannerisms, the way I dress, I like, I like how you explained it to me before, before we started. And mm-hmm. that is, everybody is like a snowflake. Yes. So our identity is the snowflake. And every little point is every little part of us that has been influenced by others and experiences and life. It, um, that's exactly. So unique. It is. It's exactly right. And the primary contributor to identity is family. So you have all these experiences, but the family stands kind of head and shoulders above the rest in terms of contributing to our identity, who Mm -hmm. we are. Before we get, um, because I feel the energy in this conversation, it's so rich. But before we start tumbling down this hill, (laughs) let's just again reference that this journey or pathway toward maturity or wholeness is made up of four um, would you call them attributes? Or, or? I think of them as elements. So just describe, Dr. Rob, those four elements and where we are today on oh. that schematic or okay. whatever you want to call it. So authority and authoritative messages help format our identity. Mm-hmm. From identity, you have self-worth, right? Your value and then self-control. And these four elements are sequential. They, they, and they're also fluid. So, and then when you target these elements, um, you're, you're channeling them, if you will, into maturity. Individual maturity then lends itself to relational maturity. Mm-hmm. So 
you know, in, in this model, authority, identity, self-worth, and self-control work together and leverage that those dynamics towards a mature response that mm-hmm. now enables me to be intimate, appropriately intimate in relationship. So if you were to just say to our listeners, after listening to this episode, what do you intend to be the takeaway from this episode? From this episode, that we need to pay attention to our identity, how we act, think, and feel. We need to have an understanding of why why we believe what we do, our core beliefs. Um, we have to be honest with those core beliefs, but to wrestle with this concept of who am I? Okay, there it is. We're really asking the question, who are we or who am I? Exactly. To Patty's point, how does that end? How do I fit? How does my uniqueness, that individual snowflake, what is that about? Mm-hmm. Patty, would you have anything different to to simplify this or to describe what you're sensing is the outcome of today's conversation? I kind of figured that I would figure that out at the end. Very good. <laughs> so we will, is, we will. A lot of this is new for me. Yeah, we will report back at the end and find out if we came close to hitting the 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 mark on the barn. Yeah, who am I? Right. Who okay. Am I? And we will touch base on a number of different aspects of identity today, including a focus on the brain, because as we act, think, and feel, that's what we're breaking down identity to. And today, we're just going to focus on how you think. So we're going to focus on the brain. Next episode, we're going to talk about emotions. And then finally, we're going to talk about behavior or acting, because I'm kind of a sequential thinker. And I do believe even the scripture would reference that as you think, so goes your life. So I don't think behaving precedes thinking. So as a person thinks, or if you have a cognitive um, schema or construct, oftentimes that's going to lead to possible emotions, but specifically behaviors. Yeah. So here's the good news. If you don't like the way you're behaving and your identity you can change the way you think. Yes. And so we're here to manipulate your thinking. <laughs> Look into my eyes. That's a hot subject today with all of the fake news and everything we see on social media. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There's a lot of fake going on. I'm thinking about getting fake hair the more hair I lose. <laughs> all right. So... We already discussed pre-recording that identity is not easily defined. No. So we're not suggesting this is an easy pill to swallow, but it is a cool concept to attend to. Yes. Develop uh, Identity is developed over the course of a lifespan. So this is not something that's developed, and then it's kind of like you're one and done. Like you turn 18, you get your driver's license, you get your identity. By 22, you get married, you have two kids, one and a half cars, yeah, a and, pet. And that's a mistake I think our culture makes, right? We, we think of identity as a snapshot versus a video. Oh, that's good. And the truth of the matter is 
if I understand how these elements work to contribute towards maturity and can implement some of these things, I will be intentional about my identity throughout lifespan. Yeah, so we're like a novel or we're a movie. Yeah. And our life is being written. Like there's a, currently, I could think of my current life, there's a chapter being written, maybe maybe a paragraph within a chapter of my life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, but when when you hear like, I'm searching for myself or I, I don't know who I am, there's some legitimacy in that. But part of what I think feels that perspective is the fact that we don't have we don't think of identity as an ongoing process so there is some truth to the fact that who i am to who who i was yesterday i am today Mm -hmm. that's that historical piece to identity but the reality is i'm changing too Mm -hmm. and sometimes on the journey you get stuck totally and i'm thinking of a movie today we just talked pre-recording we talked about the incredibles um where's my super suit <laughs> and uh i need to be about the greater good and yeah what's the character's name do you remember the superhero is it ice man ice man something like that and she says i am your greater good yeah his wife says i am your greater good but a- another identity movie i guess i'm on pixar today but uh, finding nemo where dory has this memory lapse she doesn't know who she is but the dad What's his name? Fred, Bill. I don't know. His son was Nemo, and he was on a journey to try to find his son. And he was partnered up with Dory, this little fish, who didn't have all her um, oars in the water. No, she had a short-term, she had a, a learning disability, if you will, a short-term, <laughs> short-term memory issue. Yeah. And uh, yet she might have known more about who she was versus, you know, Nemo's dad. Dory accepted herself as is. Oh. Right? So in that in that movie, Dory doesn't have a lot of questions about who she is. She accepts herself as is. Mm-hmm. And then she grows and changes and morphs into, you know. She didn't really have too much fear when she was presented with threat. No. She just kind of, I'm swimming, just swimming, (laughs) swimming down, down. She just went into the dark and didn't have any fear. No. As they were trying to find the goggles that fell. Yeah. So you have a perspective, Rob, about a biblical perspective, Old Testament versus New Testament, and you referenced it a little bit regarding family and adoption, but can you expound a little bit on that yeah so in paul's writings in the new testament in romans galatians and ephesians um, paul uses the reference of adoption i'm adopted into a family well he was probably referencing the roman concept of adoption which is similar to ours today Mm -hmm. and here's what happens in adoption the old is 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 historical it's pushed away and i now have a new name i have a new family to identify with i have new resources um 
the family I'm adapted into, I have access to all of their resources, right? Because I'm now literally a part of their family. And so in the New Testament, Paul references this character, this identity development as starting in Christ with adoption. I'm adapted into the family of God. That enables me now to identify with a different kind of family, especially because my biological family may have been dysfunctional, right? Um, and so this, this concept, and then this concept in the New Testament, Paul associates identity with adoption and family. Theologians, they generally associate it with theological concepts like justification or sanctification or, and I'm not saying that's not correct or not true, but if you want to know who you are, you have to understand your family Mm -hmm. because they're going, there's the clues to who I am. Mm -hmm. My mannerisms, my ideas, my core beliefs, the first shot at the development of all of those issues start with a family context. Well, fantastic. Because now based on our conversation last week on authority, Mm -hmm. it's authoritative messages that facilitate the development of identity. I think so. And if those messages, if the messages are you're wanted, you're needed, you're important to this family and you're special, if you do a faith perspective because you're handmade by God, right? I then have, my brain isn't in a survival mode. It's in a learning mode, which is much easier. It's not, I, I, uh, the, the development in that context gives me an opportunity to learn that relationships are safe, that I am valued, that the family will protect those kind of things that are found in healthy relationships, when the family is healthy, those authoritative messages are healthy, they can then format my identity. Does that make sense? It, it, it sounds too idealistic, but it does make sense in, in principle. It, but, but how often is that realized in people that they have the kind of family that positively influences them? It's, in the formation of their identity. It's not. In fact, most families are dysfunctional, so it works in, let's say, a reverse. It, it, it fragments your identity. So when the parent says, you're a stupid idiot, or when they neglect, um, when they're verbally abusive or physically abusive or sexually abusive or reject, reject parental rejection, those are the kinds of viruses that fragment our identity. So Patty, when you think of this point in terms of your life, um, what do you, what do you see in the landscape of maybe your own family, but also the landscape of the culture that you've grown up in? Well, that these things that can fragment us don't necessarily have to be negative behaviors. They can be behaviors that have positive intentions but leave um, perhaps irrational beliefs. Yeah. So, for example, I'm thinking of, of, you know, the feminist movement and gender roles. 
So, well, you're a girl, so you don't have to go to school. Or you're a girl, so you need to concentrate on home ec. Or that kind of a thing. Now, I'm aging myself. That was way back in the 60s and 70s. What is it today? I mean, messages change. But even things like that. Subtle messages. Subtle messages. Fortunately, I came from a, a long line of really outstanding women who were before their time. But even in my family, the message was, sure, you can conquer the world, but don't be surprised when nobody notices. What a fortunate thing to have that type of influence in your life as you were growing up. It has served me, thankfully, yeah. Mm -hmm. But see, look at how that works. Patty's authoritative messages, even though some may have been a tad mixed or whatever, have contributed to who she is today. And that's that's the relationship that you wrestle with, how these authoritative messages shape who we are today. Yeah, and the authoritative messages come from a variety of sources, you know, ethnic, cultural, professional, worldview, media, religion, genetics, family, and sex. Um, the reality is... This there's a multifaceted system of influence that is shaping our identity. And yet we can be very unaware of the influences of all of those factors. Yeah. Unbeknownst to us, we were shaped. Yep. It's like our skin. You don't generally think about your skin unless you might have a, an allergic reaction or you have overly sensitive skin to something. It's just we take it for granted. Mm-hmm. Well, then identity and identity formation, being that they are formed out of complexity and the environment, why don't we kind of shift to the classic um, conversation of nature versus nurture? Yeah. there. I remember when I was in school, there was a debate about nature versus nurture and which one is the most profound and you know how do they work together well you fast forward to today and all the research that has occurred i think there's probably almost universal agreement that it's a both and Mm -hmm. you know and they're they're fluid so nature can influence uh, nurture and nurture influences nature. Brain development is a good example of that. Mm-hmm. When a child is in a loving home, their brain develops normally, whatever that means. And if they're in an abusive situation or trauma situation, it affects the development of the brain. So referencing some of the research that you cite in your own um, dissertation, is that more than 1 million new neurological connections are formed per second in the first few years of life. Yeah. At 18 months old, disparities in children's vocabulary begin to appear. Mm-hmm. How about this? Adversity breeds developmental delays. 90 to 100% developmental delays will occur when the child experiences six or more risk factors such as poverty, caregiver mental illness, child uh, maltreatment, 
uh, single parent, low maternal education, just things like that that influence significantly the development of the child or adolescent brain. Right, and therein lies their identity. It affects, it influences their identity, right? All of that is, it's a holistic system. When you change one part of the system, you change another. It's Every fabricator, um, auto fabricator knows that when you start to fabricate one part of the Jeep or the car, it almost always leads to changing something else. And there's this interrelatedness. And to your point, it's, it's really, it's complex, but very cool. Now, another little disclaimer as we're talking about this, the purpose of recognizing some of the features that can influence negatively a child's development is that no parent goes out intentionally to harm their child. A lot of this is based on ignorance. I'm not suggesting that you're not responsible, but in terms of assigning blame, things like that, we're not doing that. We're trying to become smart in our self-assessment and to be able to understand what are the factors that can influence the development of identity in, in babies and children, adolescents and adults because we're still, as adults, being influenced by our surroundings, by the authoritative messages that are still being spoken to us. Yeah. The, the way I conceptualize it is the past affects the present, which has implications for the future. Mm-hmm. And from a developmental perspective, from an identity developmental perspective, the physical, the emotional, the relational, nature versus nurture are they're both in play in terms of identity formation and development. Again, Patty, from your perspective, thinking about this concept of nature versus nurture and the complexity of the brain and the influences, um, any thoughts or perspective that you wanted to share? Oh, I completely agree that it's both and. Mm-hmm. And everyone's nature and nurturing is different. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if we can even put a label as good or bad, but certainly different. Yeah, I, to Patty's point, I would say the label is healthy versus unhealthy. Yeah. Right? It's not right or wrong, good or bad, healthy versus unhealthy. And here's the beautiful thing. In all cultures and all people group, they generally can define maturity within their cultural context and they can also define what is what constitutes healthy versus unhealthy. And I think that's a really cool thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at the center of this conversation seems to be the brain. Because the brain is a very complex system. And it's being influenced in significant ways all the time as it's trying to process information. I talked earlier about the idea of cognitive schemas or constructs, basically layered systems of thought that become, in a sense, kind of a rut. And when we talk about habits or tendencies, we tend to have more of a neurological rut, which can be good or bad or just indifferent, um, that is in play. And oftentimes when you're wanting to think about doing something different on a readiness scale, you might be in a pre-contemplative state or a contemplative state, or you might be in a position to start acting on it, but it all hinges on 
what your brain's function is when you think about making change in your life. And so even as we think about this idea and people are waking up to the idea of my own identity formation, you need to engage the brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And today, um, I, I like the way Dr. Jacob Ham refers to the learning brain versus the survival brain. When a brain is in survival mode, it doesn't deal well with ambiguity. It tends to be black and white. And it's just like the name implies. You're surviving. Mm-hmm. The brain perceives a life-threatening situation, real or perceived. And to your point with the rut, the more our brains stay in survival mode, the more difficult it is to move it from survival mode to a learning brain. And when you think about learning brains, they're open. They can see the big picture from an emotional perspective. They tend to uh, be calm and view challenges with anticipation and a certain amount of confidence. Survival brain, emotionally speaking, is anxiety producing. They have trouble learning and seeing the big picture because all those resources are focused on surviving. But and you said difficult, not impossible. There would be, right. The, the, the survival brain it makes it impossible to learn. So the goal is to move at least that's what um, I, I and I agree with him. Uh, Jacob Ham would say it's like it's not possible to learn when you're in survival brain because all of your resources are focused on surviving. So there isn't like any room for learning or growth. So the key is to move from you move that brain from a survival brain to a learning brain, um, and that's doable. That is doable. Totally. It's difficult if you're always activated, you're, you're always in survival mode, but you're right. It's doable. And sometimes, I mean, frequently that's in theory what therapists do, right? They help you process the trauma and move your brain from survival into learning. Mm-hmm. That gives me hope. Oh, it's, yeah. It's not a hopeless situation. It's just when you focus on survival brain, and I think he's right. You can't learn. It, it, there's no room. That's the easiest way I can think about it. Like there's no more, there's no room to learn because you're so busy, focused, and preoccupied on responding to what you perceive or is a real threat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's just keep remembering that the reality is we're always in formation. Mm-hmm. There's neuroplasticity, which just simply means our brain is designed to change preferably for the better toward this learning brain attitude. Not that the, there's not a need for that sympathetic nervous system um, to react or respond to perceived threat, but there's enough balance that you can manage your response in a healthy way. Right. You want to, it's not a this or that. Right. To Patty's point earlier, it's a both and. You need the survival brain. I mean, if you're being attacked by a bear, you don't want your learning brain doing anything. You want your survival brain doing it. So a good 
than practical scenario, if you will, regarding this. Remember, the big picture is maturity versus immaturity. So we want to have relational competency. Mm-hmm. The way this would play out would be if you would be in a situation where you're more given to the idea of a threat and a survival brain reaction in your relationship and you're triggered and the relationship doesn't have the ability to contain that or to hold that without change and it starts to bring a liability into the relationship. Yeah. Your partner's not capable of helping you through that perhaps, but you're going to be given more to the, would it be the immature development track, if you will? And again, not intentional, but by default because of the influences. Yeah, that's in this model, it would be what you just articulated would lead to immaturity, right? I think of it as like, you don't want to be swinging a bat in a, a jewelry store or a china shop. Yeah. The survival brain can, you know, can be swinging that bat in a relationship. So there's a mismatch where the learning brain would not, would not, um, they would accurately assess what's going on. So with survival and relationship, you're always hyper alert. You're always potentially triggered. And that doesn't lend itself for stability, which is necessary for a healthy relationship. Anxiety. Yes, some anxiety is good, but if it's on nonstop, it's counterproductive. And remember, when we talk about immaturity, we're not talking about farting at the dinner table and laughing. (laughs) Right? Exactly. We're we're talking about identity formation. Identity. and, And choosing to have a balanced human development where I can grow into the person I was created to be. A, a person who could experience intimacy, both me being able to be vulnerable and to share, as well as being able to attend to the other in order to hear their heart and to know them intimately. Yeah. And Trump, nice. go ahead, Penny. I was just saying nice. Yeah. I like the way you said that. Yeah. Well, it's nice to be liked for what I've done. <laughs> So as we are approaching the end of this episode, again, lots of material to try to conceptualize in 30 minutes, but I think we can start to land this particular thought regarding maturity um, and the thinking portion of thinking, feeling, and acting. And um, we're talking about really the authoritative influences in your life that you would just be more aware of what has influenced you is kind of my closing thought. Again, we're big on self-assessment. Be curious about, don't be judgmental toward yourself or others. That doesn't help. But be curious about what has influenced you and begin to somehow take account for that. Be curious and honest. You always want me to be honest. I do always want you to be honest. But on the positive side, I like you whether you do something or not. You're so kind to me. <laughs> and so is Patty. Maybe I have some insecurity <laughs> in my identity. Would you help me? 
I have two good therapists. Comes out of your survival brain. Yeah. Right. Yes, it can. Just trying to put this all together. Well, no, no question. A default back to my survival brain because I'm intimidated by the greatness that's around me right now, (laughs) and I just want to try to measure up. Uh, Growing taller. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Patty, any other talk about fake news? <laughs> fake news, <laughs> right? Patty, any any final thoughts regarding the concept of identity um, that we've talked about today? Um, I love this conversation. It makes so much sense. Hey, I, if it makes sense to Patty, we're doing something right. <laughs> I, I feel like we, that. I feel like we just hit a, a goal. I mean, it is complex, but it's. It's coming together. Okay. Very good. Dr. Rob, any thoughts to finish our episode today? I appreciate the conversation. I like the, I like the wrestling with it to your point, Mm -hmm. you know, to, and to Patty's point, not to be intimidated by the complexity. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We have a new email address that if our listeners have thoughts or questions they want to share with us, do you want to share that email address? It's mindfulconversations123 at gmail.com. Mindfulconversations123 at gmail.com. Well, there it is. If you have a thought, nothing critical because <laughs> we're very sensitive in our maturity. <laughs> but send it our way and we'll try to respond to you. But we hope that you've enjoyed this episode of Mindful Conversations with Matt and Rob. And Patty, Patty, we hope that you have a great day wherever that may lead you. <laughs> <laughs>